We're in our uh, Acts, our series through the book of Acts, and it's called uh, How It Changes Everything. What is it? Well, it is the gospel, and the gospel changes lives. And when lives change, change happens in life. And so I wanted to talk to you about some things that you may have heard about. And so I'll make some confirmations and tell you some things that you might not know. And so here we go. Uh, First, you may have heard that um, this family... Ryan and Jessica Cook and their new little baby. What's her baby's name? Anna? Audrey. Sorry. I don't Facebook very much. Anyways, um, they are coming back. They went uh, to Portland to plant a church, and they did a great job with that. Uh, But change happens, and so they're coming back here. Yes. We're excited for us, and I'm sure that those uh, that are there in Portland are sad that they're going to be leaving, but uh, you're wondering what they're going to do when they're going to come back. Well, Ryan is going to be back into the uh, music and media pastor position here at Desert Breeze. I'm sensing a little bit, okay, well, what about Ryan Davis? Ryan Davis and his wife, lovely wife Erin, and they have three boys Ryan Davis is going to be taking over the youth position, the youth pastor position here at Desert Breeze. And so some of the youth are confused because we announced that Ryan Cook was going to do that before. But change happens. God works out his plan despite us. And so now you're wondering, what about Donnie and Melanie? Well, change happens. I love the, the... Donnie's going to be teaching today, and he's going to be teaching us uh, along a particular thought, uh, uh, sequence of thoughts, and it's, wow, whoa, and let's go. And so um, Donnie and Melanie are, uh, are stepping out in faith to do something God's called them to do, and I'll let, I'll let Donnie come up and share more about it and have Melanie come up as well. And uh, rather than me try and explain it to you, they have uh, much better words. The gospel is about life change, and we all need life change. And uh, I'm not quite sure if many of you know about it. Some of you do, but uh, Don, I don't want to get too close. Okay, no. Uh, Dondi's why I'm here at Desert Breeze. Well, God's why I'm here at Desert Breeze, but he used Dondi in my life at a particular time where I was searching to answer some questions and stuff, and I'll let him tell you about that. But uh, why don't you just go ahead and... We have, we've been part of this family for 18 years and uh, could not ever think of, of leaving. We actually, we're gypsies, I think we are. We're, we've raised two little gypsy girls, nomads. Um, it's, we've traveled, we've done a lot of things in our life, but coming here, this is the longest we've ever been part of a community. And, and it has been with purpose. Um, we just knew. We you know, I worked in banking for many years and knew that I wanted to be in full-time ministry. In fact, I was told one time, you're too nice of a banker. You need to do something else. It's like, what does that mean? But I didn't want to be a banker. I knew that. I, I was a horrible banker. I gave you money. I gave it away. You know, it's not, banks don't want that. Banks don't want that. You know, I needed to find another place, you know, where I can give things away and people, you know, it's okay. But find myself in full-time ministry here, loving it. Uh, we went, you know, I was working one time in one of my jobs when I left banking, knowing that I wasn't going to do that ever again. And just preparing my life for a full-time ministry, I took a job at TGI Friday's. Never done restaurant before in my life, but I knew I liked food. 
you know, and it was easy to talk to people, and, and Scott was manager, uh, general manager of our restaurant, and that's when I first met him. I loved the way he would just walk around tables and talk to people and, you know, pick fries. And, mm, good fry, good fry. How's that salad, you know? But, uh, but, you know, he taught me what I knew and loved it. And we ended up one night talking as we closed the restaurant about God and we prayed. And um, not short, long after that, we, Melanie and I left one of our trips to go away to help a church, uh, plant a church in, in Colorado. And when I came back, you know, Scott had gotten rededicated to God, had his family. And the last, last service, we talked about Karen. Yeah. She's like a he, she was a heathen in those days, Karen. <laughs> Karen did not want church or anything to do with God at all whatsoever, so we prayed right. for her. Is she here, by the way? She still is a heathen. She's right over there. Oh, hi, Karen. Karen is a loving woman. She <laughs> loves God. But uh, I know that when we first talked, it's like they just, we're just tired of church. You guys, we know this. We, we've been there. We've all been there. We're just like, we don't want the politics, the judgment, all that kind of stuff, but we talked and then to find out that they were coming here and, and were loving this as their family. And of course, we came back from Colorado just wanting to be, we're a family. And so I did worship music for a number of years and we did kids' church. And, you know, up to this time, Melanie, loving wife, very supportive of anything I did. Wherever I went, she, I dra- dra- dragged her and the girls along. Um, and, and they were happy. You know, they, they were happy following me and, and it was cool. And, um, but a couple of years back, about seven years ago now, you know, we're doing ministry and doing worship here, and she had done kids' church with the kids, like some of you mothers do. You follow your kids up through the through the ranks. Our girls were in high school, and she just really saw a need to reach out to high school kids. And this is the one time that Melanie really jumped in on her own. It wasn't something she was following me. She really answered the call, and Young Life became, you know, a big part of our home. And it hit me because the first Young Life group meeting that they had in our house. They had 100 kids coming to our house. And, and folks, I wasn't too excited about that. I mean, I, I loved kids. Believe me, I loved kids. I loved my girls. I loved their friends. So I just wasn't ready for 100 kids in my house. I kept on thinking they were going to steal stuff. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I was inventorying stuff all the time, you know? And, and it was terrible as if something was missing, I'd blame it on one of those kids, and I'd find it underneath the bed or something. I'm just like, oh, I'm so, I'm so terrible as a person blaming it on these kids. But they kept on coming. And they wouldn't stop. And they were hearing about the gospel. And I started looking at them and saying, wow, she's, they're involved in something that's huge. And so, you know, that's when I talked to the leadership here. I said, hey, can I take over the youth in our church and kind of help, you know, spur that same thing going on for church? And we have. And it's been a great marriage, not only for both of us, but for the church, where we, you know, we start working with the youth in our church and loving on them and, and hearing their story and getting involved in one. And, and then having the outreach, the Young Life kids come from high schools here. And, and you've seen them. You probably don't even, you can't tell the difference whether they're a church kid or a young life kid. They don't, except for they wear a t-shirt, but they don't look any different. But these are kids that have not come from a church family maybe or, 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 or didn't come to this church, but, but got to know Jesus through young life, going to a camp. They came here. You've, you've seen them get baptized. You've seen them baptize their own families, you know, within a year later of, of that time. So a lot of great things are happening. Where we find ourselves now at it, we're a position where they say when you can't do, you teach. Is that the right term? Sean, am I right about that? Those that can't teach. Oh, but you're a teacher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that in a bad way. Um, that was terrible. Rewind that back. I'm sorry, bro. Um, you know, they, they, they say like if you're a football player and you can't play anymore, you become a coach. Well, you know, it's like, okay, so we're old now. You know, like she's 50, 100 years old and I'm still young at 50. You know, what's left for us? But you know what? There's a lot of life and young life. Um, man, it's just an opportunity for us to, to maybe reach some kids that 
have been unreachable for a little bit. And uh, just one story real quick. Um, there, there's a, they do outreach to military bases throughout the world, uh, both here, domestic, and, and across the world. And, and I heard one story. We were at Fort Carson in, uh, in Colorado Springs just last week to hear these stories. And there's one girl. She was in 10th grade. Now, Fort Carson, about a year ago, there was a death um, happening almost every week on that base, you know, in, due to the war situation. And so these kids and these families were used to it. They were used to seeing the processionals and, and the memorials happen. And kids in school were used to hearing each other's names being called. They're calling you to the front office. And, and, and they, they dealt with that. That was a reality in their life. Guys, I know that sometimes you don't like your parents. You can't stand them. And, and I know that they're a pain in the neck for the most part. But these kids live with the reality that tomorrow my dad or mom might die. Well, anyway, she was called to the office, this girl named Kayla, 10th grade. And she said of all the days that she had this art class, which is way across campus, it was that day, and she had to walk across campus. And she said she was getting ready to hear the story because she had heard all the other kids being called just the same way. And as she walked across the campus from far away, she could see her mom standing there. And she started crying because she thought, oh, it's going to happen. They're going to tell me now. And she got all the way to the front, and, and, and her mom saw her and just said, "Hun, you forgot your lunch. I just thought I'd bring it to you. That's hard. But that's what they live with every day. And they live with all the same stuff the teenagers do. I mean, you know, they do all the stuff. They just have that extra stuff added to it. That they have parents who are gone a lot, that are absentee because they have to be. They have to come back and try to connect with them that could be killed in action. And so those needs are pretty pressing, and it gives us a chance to maybe do what we did here. And, and God has blessed us with a great team, with great kids that have come along, that, have, that have, you know, have let us be in their life, and a great team of volunteers, you know, people that have been here at church, people that have come here because of Young Life, and they call this their church now because they want to work with your kids. And so we've been blessed with this, and we leave that with Ryan and know that uh, he's going to have a, a great job. He's going to do a great job, and he has a lot to do And because uh, the work never stops. With that in mind, we, it had, gives us peace to know that we could leave that and leave our family. We, we don't choose to as far as want to leave you, but we know there's a work that has to be done. So we're going to go. We don't know where yet. Uh, we're still in the process of figuring out. Uh, I know they've said Germany. They've also said Japan and some other places. I just said don't send me somewhere where they're Arabs because I look like one. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be in anyone's crosshairs, you know, and that kind of stuff. I want to dealt with kids, not, you know, Maui? no offense if anyone's Arab here. I mean, I, I, I'm one of them. So I, I Maui, would that be good? Maui would be great. If they send me to Maui, the base there, I'm all for it. Guys, you can join me later. Yeah. But, but that's where we're going. Um, we love your prayers, your support. Uh, we're going to be leaving for the summer. Now, we'll be here for the summer to get kids through camp so, and to be with Ryan and kind of show them the ropes of what we do through camp and then getting ready for September when school starts or August when school starts again. Um, we have to go raise money because they want us to go reach kids, but we have to, we're missionaries, so we're going to raise our own support. So we might be talking to some of you, um, answering questions, asking for your prayer, and asking for finances because it costs money to do this work, and we're just answering the call. So we love you guys. This has been our tribe, and it will be. Uh, we look forward to sending you pictures of what we're doing wherever we end up um, and with little umbrella things, um, the drinks, you know, by the beach with the kids. Um, or not, freezing. I can just imagine me in Germany freezing, you know. <laughs> what did you get us out here for? 
freaking cold. I can't believe this. You know, I, I picture that. I mean, that's, that's the worst. It's like, I hate cold, but we could end up there. But uh, I said the bad word, didn't I? That's okay. I'm going to end up. Um, you want to say anything? Okay, I said it all. My all wife, right. very few words. I say them all. So, <laughs> Well, like they said, it's not happening overnight. They'll be here for uh, most of the summer and gradually passing things forward. So uh, we're not going to pray them out right now because we'll have great opportunity to do that uh, in the future. But if you've got questions for them, and uh, certainly keep them in your prayers and uh, start preparing the hearts of those youth that they'll be going to reach. All right? Sounds good. Give them a round of applause, please. Why don't you guys stand and greet each other while we're, uh, before we get going? Thank you, guys. Let's go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, wow, usually we're ending in about 15 minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you. We've got a little longer uh, in time, but I just ask for your, I guess, for you to indulge our, this moment. Um, we've, one of the things that we love doing, part of youth ministry, is, is one of the greatest rewards is that we are in these kids' lives, I think, forever. And, and they in us. And we've had a chance to establish some relationships um, that will last a lifetime. And, and that is so rewarding. We truly have been able to experience being church together in youth ministry, not just doing the motions. But this last week, we've, some of you as parents, friends, uncles, grandparents have celebrated um, the, the passage of, of some of our kids, you know, that from, from high school. And we, one of the things that Ryan will, and his team will know is that you're probably going to go to like five or six uh, different uh, graduations, you know, and then like five or six houses. You, you wonder why youth pastors do get fat because we eat so much food, you know, and drink so much pop and stuff. But, um, but it's, it's those things that we love. And so I want to invite some of my friends that graduated this week. So guys, come on, come on out. Give a hand, guys. These are some, not all, some. Come over here. My girls, when they were in school, and like if they were freshmen, the date after school ended, like they would say, now we're sophomores. You know? Even though they hadn't started school yet, they, they were ready. You know, and so I know these guys, like school was over, like they graduated, so now they're no longer high schoolers. Now they are like college people. And there's like a hush that just when you say that, college people. You know, they're no longer immature junior hires. They're no longer immature high schoolers. These young people now have moved on. They moved on to the next level in their life. So I'm going to introduce to you these, uh, these cool kids who graduated high school. And uh, tell us your story. Are you going to start this way? This way this time. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I was expecting to go last. Because last service we went that way. So we're switching it. Um, okay. I'm Heather. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, that really threw me off. <laughs> okay, so uh, I grew up in like a Christian home. We went to church. I was forced to go with my family. Then when I hit high school, my parents decided that I was old enough when I was a freshman that I didn't need to be forced to. If I made the decision, then I would want to go. So I was like, well, I don't want to go. So I didn't. And so freshman and sophomore year went on and nothing big happened. And then my junior year, I got invited to Young Life. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, yeah, I'll go check it out. So I went to Young Life and 
the first person to greet me was Kelsey. And I'm going to do this again. She's in the blue shirt where everybody's pointing, kind of ducking down in her seat. She greeted me. She just starts, like, yelling at me. She's like, welcome to Young Life, and gives me a huge hug. I was really scared, and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And so I made it through the first one, and I was like, I love this. And I came back, and I've enjoyed Young Life for the past two years, and I had the pleasure of listening to Dondi speak about Jesus um, all the two years. And so... And then I got invited by some of my leaders to go to Desert Breeze. And so I was like, yeah, I'll try it out. Like, I haven't been to church in a while. So I tried it out, and I loved it. And uh, they taught me so much about Jesus and the relationship with him that I can have other than anything else. I was so alone before I didn't have anything. Like, everything I tried to do just made me feel more alone. It's like I surrounded myself with friends, but I was alone. I was alone all the time. I didn't know what to do. Then when I met Jesus, it's just like I'm never alone again. It's like I have that fulfillment in my heart that nothing else could give me. And it's funny that I started with Young Life with my walk with Christ. And now I'm going to Grand Canyon University. And Young Life is paying for my school. And... I'm just really excited to see what God has to do with me, and I'm sure it's going to be amazing working through kids like they, like my leaders, worked into me. And that, that's it so far. Hi, I'm Danielle. Hi. <laughs> well, I've grown up in a Christian family, and they've always brought me to church, and forced me to go when I didn't want to, and I, church was more of a chore for me. It was going through the motions for a lot of years until freshman year, and I went to Dare to Share with my sister and the youth, and I went there actually looking forward to meet a guy and not, (laughs) not uh, interested in God whatsoever. I'm just like, oh, God's there, yeah, but what about him? And so (laughs) I was focusing on him for the first half of it, but then after the break, we came back, and I sat there, and I started listening, and God started working into me, and I had the head knowledge that God loved me and everything, but that day, it really, the coins dropped, and I felt how much he loved me, and it changed my life forever, and now that I've graduated, he has me going into the Air Force. And it's a little scary, but I know that with him, he'll keep me safe and be there for me always. Yeah, this whole line's messing me up saying here. Hi, I'm Lydia. I just graduated on the 27th. Woohoo! So um, I started doing Young Life at seventh grade. My brother did it, so I was like, okay, that's the thing to do. You just kind of go through life, following the older brother because he did what he did. Okay, whatever. So I did that. I met Melanie and Dondi through that, like eighth grade, I think, something like that. And I actually went to a campaigner's camp with them because my group was only me going, so I got connected with Desert Breeze going to their church, 
So I went to camp with them, and we went to a cool Bible study, and actually one sermon really touched me. The pastor was talking about standing up for what you believe in and just being your own person, not following the world's pattern and stuff like that. And knowing, and me, I've always been like that. I've always followed everybody. I've always dressed like everybody else, and I've done my makeup and my hair, which did not end up going well for me. So I just kind of copied along with it. And then I just realized that day, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm kind of just the mellow person. I don't need to be all dolled up and all that, and I just need to be myself. And so we had prayed the prayer, and he said, if you prayed that prayer, can you please stand up? So I look around. No one's standing up. Okay. So I just stood up, and I was like, oh, God, this is really awkward because I'm the only one standing up. And my group stood along with me and representing the church. So I was the only one that stood up. And the pastor was the happiest guy in the world. And the next day he said, that one girl that stood up, can you please come up here? And he, like, was really happy about just me standing up for myself and just being proud of myself. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And now I'm going to be going to GCC for designing. Hi, I'm Talia. Um, hi, Talia. Hi, friends. Um, so I first started going to church when I was little. Like, my parents, I guess, went. So my sister and I went. And, um, like, we went when it was on Bell or wherever it was. And then it left, so we left. So um, we didn't go to church for a long time. And um, once my parents got divorced, my mom turned to that. And... Um, I hated the idea of church completely because she would, like, shove it down my sister and my throat. And um, so one of the rules of our household was for us to go to church. So obviously that didn't make it any more appealing. Um, so I was forced to go to church, and then I got introduced to Young Life as an alternative. So I went to Young Life because I was in the youth with Melanie and Dondi. And um, it wasn't until the first summer at um, camp that I got introduced to God and heard the gospel, and um, I fell in love with it, but it took a while to keep staying persistent and actually come to church, and um, I don't know, it was really, it's really cool looking back to see at who I used to be, and um, as a matter of fact, like everybody up here, we've kind of gone through it all together, and it's, um, it's really cool to see the impact that such a little thing can have, and um, I don't know, I love God. I'm Chris. Um, I've been going to Desert Breeze since about fourth grade, and uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I haven't been taking church seriously. Well, I, I am now, but I wasn't up until about junior year of high school. I was plugged in uh, with Young Life. I got involved about fresh like halfway through freshman year and uh that's when donnie and melanie got a hold of me encouraged me to really start coming <clears throat> and just one summer night of my junior summer we were at uh, my pastor sean denny's house and uh we watched this movie by rob bell and it was just incredible my world was shaken uh i had no control over what happened to me that night. I was just completely different. And, um, you know, 
I just try to stress to people, you know, sometimes you can't control the change that happens to your life. Like, I heard about it happening to thousands of other people, and I never thought it would happen to me. But if you set yourself up and you put, you put yourself in the position for God to work in you, then he will. You just have to ask. So ever since then, my life has been amazing, and I've gotten, you know, a bunch of new friends to replace my not-so-great other ones. And, uh, you know, I get to play on the band. That's awesome. I love that. And I'll be going to PVCC this year. All right. Open to Acts chapter 3. We'll keep it as fast. I'll go as fast as I can. Um, we ran over a little bit already. But um, have you ever been um, as a student or a chaperone family? Have you ever gone to one of those like uh, a zoo place or an animal place? And you always get these overzealous, overzealous uh, people that work there that they just they want to bring out stuff. And they want you to touch, you know, the animals and pet them. Um, you know, something like this. Um, which I'm not great around critters at all. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, putting something like that around my neck. I'd be just like him. It's like, yeah, this is good. Take the picture quick, please. You know, and you guys do it to your kids too. Come on, honey, hold the big ugly snake. Come on, let me take a picture. Daddy will be proud of you. But, uh, but you know, these guys bring these things and you, you got to touch them. And it's kind of cool. Or they'll do something like this, you know. You know, there's no way I'm going to touch that. That's like, wow, no way. I mean, look at this. Look at this thing. Look at that. Look at that. That's, that's like a truck size, you know, spider. It's a wolf spider. I mean, these things will get in your way. They will change your life completely. Um, but um, speaking of untouchables, so sometimes we do this stuff. So if I don't kind of take your mind off of what I'm talking about. Um, untouchables. A few weeks ago, Ray talked about, and, and I love that when he, when he mentioned this, so it's, it's a wow. He said a wow factor. When, when the wow of God replaces any wow in your life, that's an experience. When, when God's wow is bigger, when, when, and I love the way he puts it, you know, the, the, the wow of God, which is God is great. Wow. And, and then God is, God is good. Mm. And last week, Darren talked about that in, in light of us being in community together. When, when the wow of God connects with your heart, it builds community. And we're in touch with each other. And, and it builds what we call church, which is not a building, but it builds who we are as people. A people after God. And when, when the wow of God. So today I'd like to kind of start um, at this place real quick and, and just kind of take you to this story before we go to Acts chapter 3 because this has a lot to do with it. And, and if you just kind of let me go through this, you know, I'll kind of give you the Reader's Digest part of it. This is Isaiah. Isaiah is having a vision. I mean, he's just kind of sitting there um, and, and it says in the scripture that, that he sees God. I mean, I had a vision of the Lord. He was on his throne high above and his robe filled the temple. Flaming creatures with six wings each were flying over him. They covered their faces with two of their wings and their bodies with two more. They used the other two wings for flying as they shouted, Holy, 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 Lord, all-powerful. The earth is filled with your glory. As they shouted, the doorpost of the temple shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And it says, and I said, woe, woe is me. 
Everything I say is sinful, and so are the words of everyone around me. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord All-Powerful. One of the flaming creatures flew over to me with a burning coal that it had taken from the altar with a pair of metal tongs. It touched my lips with the hot coal and said, This has touched your lips. Your sins are forgiven. You are no longer guilty. After this, I heard the Lord ask, Is there anyone I can send? Will someone go for us? I'll go. I answered, send me. That's a huge wow moment, guys. That's a huge wow moment. I I always tell the youth when we read the scripture, do not just read them for words. Don't go like, and I looked up and saw the Lord most high. Because that's that's without feeling, without emotion, without impact. Imagine sitting in your room and you're on your Xbox, you're playing with, on your Xbox, or you're in your home office paying bills, or you're sitting on your favorite, in your favorite chair watching reruns of Lost, or you're in the kitchen getting ready to make dinner, and, and all of a sudden the ceiling in your, in your house just kind of opens up, and you see God, and you see God. Wouldn't that be like a wow moment? Wouldn't be like, wow, this is, this is huge. It's not... Oh, by the way, I I saw God yesterday. (laughs) By the by, I saw God. No, Isaiah said I was there and I looked at God and and I saw him. I saw God and I was like, wow. And I saw me and who I was and how broken I was. I saw God so beautiful and me so broken. And I said, woe is me. And then I experienced God's forgiveness And because of that, I just can't help but spread the word. I want to tell other people around it. That's where this is going. It's having a wow moment with God. It's having an experience where you know that God has touched your life and you've seen God. You've seen God work and you are saying, God, I want to be part of that. This all started in in chapter uh, 3 of Acts. Jesus gathered the boys. Let me kind of catch you up real quick. After he died and rose again and for 40 days... He taught about the kingdom. And he said, don't leave Jerusalem. You will experience this, this wild thing from God when he sends you the Holy Spirit. This is going to blow you away. You're going to have power to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. In fact, the entire world. Wait for it. He said, wait for it. And boosh, he disappears. He goes to heaven. We find the disciples now in chapter 2 being obedient. And for 10 days, they're praying and waiting and reading scripture, not leaving the city. There's a day of Pentecost, a huge feast. One of the three main feasts for the nation of Israel. The city is packed with people. And in a house, the disciples and believers, about 120 at that point, are praying and just waiting. And, and, And then it happens. The Holy Spirit came and it says it was like a sound of a mighty wind, little tongues of fire landed on people and they went out and started speaking different languages. All the people who came to the celebration were, it says, were amazed. That word amazed was not just, it says they were amazed and it changed them. They had such an experience. It made them change their thinking. Like, oh my gosh, this is huge. This is a wow moment. And it says in the scripture, are these people just Galileans? How do we hear them praising God in all of our different languages? And Peter got up with boldness and gave the first Christian sermon. And it says 3,000 people gave their life to God that day, to Christ. 3,000 people said, I'm changing the way I think about God. 
I'm understanding that Jesus was the Messiah and I'm going to follow him. Folks, that's repentance. Changing their thoughts, changing their actions. That's repentance. And it says again that they baptized about 3,000 people. Wow. Wow. But why are we still foggy about this? Does God still do that? Does God still work in us and through us? What's the point of this spirit? Has God given us the life of Christ, the spirit of God in us to make us unnoticeable? Do we really have God's presence and power in our life just to go undetected? Did God do all this in us so we can fly under the radar? I don't think that's any coincidence that now we have chapter 3. Two guys that step out and show us a blueprint, if you will, of what life looks like with the Holy Spirit. So if you can just read with me on this, um, I'll read it from here so I can kind of see it and read with you. The time of prayer was about three o'clock in the afternoon and, and Peter and John were going into the temple and a, a man who had been born lame was being carried to the temple door. Each day he was placed beside this door known as the beautiful gate. He sat there and begged from the people who were going in. The man saw Peter and John entering the temple and he asked them for money. But they looked straight at him and said, look up at us. Look up at us. The man stared at them and thought he was going to get something. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, get up and start walking. Peter then took him by the right hand and helped him up. At once, the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped up and started walking. He went with Peter and John into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God. Everyone saw him walking around and praising God. And they knew that he was the beggar who had been lying beside the beautiful gate. And they were completely surprised. Again, that word amazed. They were amazed. They could not imagine what had happened. What had happened to this man. Wow. What happened here? Let's go back to this exchange between Peter and that crippled man. I I want us to hang here just for a little bit. Because this is what this is all about. It's a touch It's a look, a touch, and a word. A look, a touch, and a word. People will feel Jesus in your caring touch. They will see Jesus in your eyes. And they will hear Jesus from your heart and lips. Did did Peter at this time have a flashback? Isn't this what he had seen Jesus do on countless times before? Didn't he have a front row seat? When Jesus was out healing people, in fact, let me tell you, one such moment found in, in, in Matthew 8, and this was about a healing of a leper. And it, 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 it compares so much to this story in Acts chapter 3. Let me back up here. Leprosy. Leprosy is, affects the nerves of the skin. Let me read this some, a little bit. You have pain in joints, discolored patches of skin all over your body. And since your skin is dying, you begin to smell. There is an ulceration of the vocal cords in your throat, so you begin to talk funny. You have a loss of sensation on your extremities, you know, toes and fingers. In fact, Paul Brandon, uh, uh, one of the leading experts in this disease, he said, one of the greatest causes of damage to people that suffer from leprosy was the loss of sensation. When a leper went to sleep, they couldn't feel their extremities, so rats and bugs would gnaw away at their fingers and their toes. It wasn't too uncommon for them to lose parts of their body. Leprosy is extremely contagious. You run the risk 
of infection if you're near one. There's a law handling leprosy found in Leviticus 13, back in the Old Testament. It reads this. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So not only was there a physical aspect of being a leper, it was obviously hurting them, disfiguring them, doing damage to their body, but there was also a social stigma. You see, if you were a leper, you were banned from society and you were forced to live alone. If you were a leper, you had a family, you had a job, you had kids, you had to leave your family, you had to leave your jobs, leave your kids behind and live in one of these leper colonies. And God only knows what it was like living there. This person had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Now imagine if you're a student walking into your school next year when it starts in September. I got a zit. I got a zit. Remember that one right here? I hate that one. I got a zit. I got bad breath. Bad breath today. Stay away. Bad breath. My axe isn't working. I smell bad. I got body odor. That's what it's like. Imagine doing that at job, at your job. That's humiliation, but that's what they had to do. Mother Teresa, we had, says this, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but the drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. The disease of being unwanted. There are people I know here, even in our church, who don't obviously have leprosy on the outside, but they have it on the inside. Isolated, lonely, they feel like freaks, they, they don't fit in. They feel unwanted. The people are holding all, hold, that people are holding all their previous sins against them. That people are looking at them and judging them. That they are considered to be EGRs. You guys know what an EGR is? Extra grace required. That is one of the most unholiest terms I've ever heard. I pray that we never use it here. God, Jesus would never do that. Jesus would never look at you and go, I died for you, but you are EGR. You are EGR. I got my, I got, I'm looking right at you. You are EGRs. Jesus would never, ever, ever do that. And yet we do that to each other. Yeah, I heard his story. He's kind of messed up. That's wrong. That's wrong. And that's what's going on. There was a book written not too long ago, in the 80s, I think. I think it was called a Boundaries Book, and it's still good. Believe me, I, I'm not against boundaries, but what we have used is we use that book as a way to build walls against each other. We call it practicing boundaries. So that gives me right now the right to stay away from you. I don't want to get too close to you because I'm practicing boundaries. I wear this because I know they wear these in hospitals. And we've, come, we've become so good, even in a church atmosphere, at, at keeping ourselves away from getting infected by other people. I mean, if you look at it, we might not walk around like this but we do. We might not have the footies and the hat, but we do plenty of this stuff all the time. This is great, but it's given us an excuse to do this. I sanitize my heart now. I, I need to keep you at arm's length. I'm practicing boundaries. Your EGR, you are messed up. Folks, this is what's going on. I love what it says here. In this story that just parallels what's going on in Acts, it says in Matthew 8, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountains, 
side. And it says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And I love this word. Suddenly. Don't miss that in this text when you read it. Suddenly. Because what happens here, he stepped out of nowhere. And and one of the things that lepers had to do is not only yell unclean, they had to wear a cowbell around them. And so anywhere they walked, you'd hear this cowbell go on. And I can just imagine this guy hiding behind a bush going, oh, don't ring, don't ring cowbell, please stay quiet because they'll hear me and I got to get close to God. This is the only way I can get healed. Don't ring today. Do you understand what it's like, the desperation that he felt? He says, please, just be quiet. And then it says, suddenly he appeared before Jesus and everybody backed away. Everybody except Jesus Jesus stepped forward. Jesus stepped forward. And this is exactly what's going on here. I love the way Max Lucado says this. He wrote in a book regarding this story. I saw him, and before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease as much as, no, more than I hate it. My rage became trust, and my anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill. I waited until he was only paces from me. Then I stepped out. Unclean, someone shouted. Again, I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death, but I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic, I had seen a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped toward me. Toward me. I said, Lord... If you can heal me, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with the word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with the prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he touched me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. We need to touch each other, folks. We need to be about touching each other's lives. There's a family... um, that comes here. I don't know if they're here today, and I know they're a very shy family. They're not, you know, they're they're not gonna. You're not gonna. They're gonna go under the radar a lot because they're just a quiet family. But they're a loving family. Some of you know them. You might have been in their small group. A few years ago, they heard the story of these little Chinese babies who were just literally left on pallets, uh, untouched, because there were just so many orphan babies that needed to be cared for. And, and they basically, they were fed, overfed twice in the day because that's the only time that people can actually be with them and touch them. So they were overfed, so they could only be fed twice a day. So they were fed a big meal in the morning and one at night, the only time they had any human interaction. It says that these babies would literally lie there all day untouched. They just couldn't. There were just too many of them. And, and the cooks took it upon themselves not not being learned people as far as they didn't speak Chinese. They didn't, they'd never traveled. I don't think outside of Glendale, maybe I I don't know for sure, but they went across the world and they, they laid their eyes on this little mass of baby, little girls on one of these pallets that had been left there untouched. And little Maddie came home with them. I don't know if you've seen little Maddie now. She's a bundle of energy. I love watching our kids when they come into the church here and you see them run up and the kids, your kids are running up, up that ramp before you guys even get inside the door. They want to go to kids' church. They want to have fun. Church is about fun. It's great. 
you know. But little Maddie is one of those kids. She just runs ahead of the family. God's changed her. Her life has been changed because of the touch. Ian Watson, he wrote this. He's a science fiction writer. We live in a contaminated planet. It is contaminated on every level. It should have been quarantined from heaven. No, no reasonable God would go near it with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus is no reasonable God. He became a human being and took on your uncleanness and mine. But instead of the world infecting him, he infected the world. And with his immaculate infection, it's still spreading today. So how are we doing on this? Ministry is an opportunity, not a destination. I wrote that down. The vast majority of Jesus' miracles were interruptions. Hear this. On his way to somewhere else, always interruptions. Jesus never said, let's go to the other side. There's a leper I need uh, to go heal. He never said that. Jesus said, let's go to a nearby town. Let's go teach. And on the way, some lepers come up and they get healed. Jesus is on his way to Jericho with the cross and all that's going to happen on his mind. On the way, there was blind Bartimaeus crying out by the gate and Jesus gives him sight. In the midst of that city, in the crowd, there's a wee little guy up in a tree and Jesus stops and says, this one's going to cost me. It's going to take an entire dinner, a whole night. Zacchaeus, come on down, buddy. Come on down. On his way to a city to teach, a synagogue ruler comes up and says, I have a 12-year-old little girl. She's dying. And there's an interruption in the agenda. On their way, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years reaches out to touch Jesus. He stops. There's an interruption in the middle of an interruption. And that's where ministry happens. When he finally gets a crowd together, when he can teach, four knuckleheads cut out a hole in the roof and drop a paralyzed guy. Now that's an interruption. I don't care how good of a communicator you are, you're, you can't talk around a swinging, swinging paralyzed guy in the middle of a crowd. You just can't do it. It's hard. All these involved a look, a touch, and a word. Jesus had a lifestyle that showed interruptions were God's work. His disciples walked focused on the things of God, paying attention to needs of the side of the road by people holding up cardboard signs. I did some basic math on this. Last week, there were 450 people here, just adults in the services. 450 people, not counting children, not counting babies. If, if we made a commitment to, to reach one person this next week, just one person, you're going to meet their needs. One person you're going to touch. One person you're going to hear their story. One person you're going to, you know, meet their needs, bring them to God, you know, tell them about church, get them in community. One person. You know how many people we'd reach? 450 people. It's not hard. One-on-one, -on -one, 450 people. Not hard. But if we take a four-week month and we do the same thing, one person a week we're going to touch, one person we're going to take our time, we're going to be interrupted, we're going to listen to them, in a month we would have touched 1,800 people. Touch for Jesus. A word, a touch, a look. Do that over a year. Now, this is really going crazy. This is really putting your Christianity out there. If you commit to doing one person a week, just one person you're going to touch, one person you're going to hear their story, one person you're going to involve yourself with, one person you're going to take off the sanitation stuff and be in their life, do you understand that we would reach 23,400 people? Folks, that fills up U.S. Air, uh, US Airways Stadium where the Suns play and more. There'll be people sitting on the floor. That's a ton of people that would be reached for, for the gospel. And it says this. Imagine how it would look today. 
The headline in the newspaper would be like, Lame Man Walks, Miracles at the Beautiful Gate. Wolf Blitzer would be in the Situation Room talking to religious experts and medical experts. There would be investigative reporters digging into the lives and history of Peter, John, and the man who was healed. There would be a video bouncing around the internet of the man walking that everyone would have to see. Blogs worldwide would be debating real, real, or farce. For a few weeks, it would be the punchline of late-night talk show jokes. People would make religious pilgrimages to the place where looking for Peter and John and for a miracle of their own. And that's what Scripture tells us. It says in Acts chapter 3, 11, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Think about it for a moment, guys. Think about it. All these faithful Israelites are gathered in the temple of God to pray to the almighty God of creation. The one who Peter reminds them is the very same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers, the very same God who led them out of Egypt, performing signs and wonders and miracles. And here they are worshiping the very same God who they believe is capable of all things. And they're coming to John and Peter in the colonnade and basically saying by their coming, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They were astonished. It's like, I don't believe it. You see, for, for, this, for them, this is unexpected. They came to worship at the temple because it was a religious experience. The temple was a place where they could carry out their faith. It was a place where they could be inspired. There was a place where they could make connections in the community. There was a place where they could socialize. This was a place that could be fun for many. Since singing and rituals are thing, things that, while we hate to admit it, do entertain. And the building and the people were good and well-crafted. Even the gate was called beautiful because it probably was. We can relate. Church is all of this. It is good. It is inspiring. We have community and purpose and vision and values. Church can be fun and entertaining for us, and there is no sin in that. But for us and them, there is something to learn in this whole unexpected day, and that's that sometimes we miss the point. We come here and we do the things as church. We run our programs. We enjoy our fellowship. We, we love our worship. And we look at all this and, and we say, wow, this is beautiful. And if we miss what is really beautiful, we miss grace. We miss grace. We forget that we're here because we worship a God who is capable of changing the rules, who says to us, people crippled by sin, get up and walk. You are forgiven. I love this 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to this. If our church could hold services in five languages or our members could speak three of them, but we didn't love others, we would be all talk and no action. If our church really expressed its spiritual gifts with wholehearted service and we became spiritual giants, but we did not love others, what good would we be? If our church had such faith that resulted in great healings and great miracles taking place, but we really did not love others, what would the point be? If we gave 50% of our budget to various missions across our nation and around our world so that a great deal of spiritual and physical poverty was alleviated, but we did not love others, why would we do it? I'd like to introduce a couple of friends who at one time in their life had a look, had a word, and had a touch. Now more than ever, we have to create. 
We have to become that which we so deeply yearn for. Personal connections. Look at me. Look up here. You need to hear that. It implies that you want to see and to be seen. You see, too often we want to hide. Too many years of crippling dysfunction leaves us withered. But the love of Jesus Christ, the power that we have been given as a church, the spirit that has passed down allows us to look at each other. And I dare say to look at ourselves, not in judgment, but in love. Not in condemnation, but in mercy. Not as one unworthy, but as one for whom Christ died. Not as, well, all you need to do is one more thing. But just as I am, without one plea. What happens after this? The people were in awe because they saw God move. And it said that 2,000 gave their lives to Christ that day and were baptized. That's the end of that. Peter preached again. And 2,000 more were added because they saw God move. May our church be marked by people who are willing to get infected by each other. Now, I'm not asking you to go out now and feed every homeless person out there. I mean, you're going to do that. That's great. You're going to run across a guy, you know, on your car. He's in the corner with the little side, you know, sign. You, you have a little Chick-fil-A, you know, you know, little, you know, thing, paper, and you throw it out the window and you zoom off, you know. Like, I fed a homeless guy today. That's awesome. You know, or you have a water bottle and you give it to the guy in the corner. And that's cool. But there are people here, people here in our fellowship that need to be given a, a look, a touch, and a word. And let Jesus move in us. So I'm going to pray. Folks, I'm so terrible. Ter- it's terrible that we've gone so long, but thank you for your patience. What I want to do is we've asked people to come up and pray. Some of you need to hear. Some of you need to hear today. You, your sins are forgiven. Some of you need to hear, take your bed and walk. You are healed. Some of you need to hear, you're not hopeless. There is hope for you. You just need to hear that from someone. You need to be prayed for, and that's okay. And, and, and there's nothing magical and special about this place. Just like Peter and John said, what are you expecting? But we are in church connecting with the God who loves you. And so you need to hear that today. And so before you rush off, I know we're late. We're going to have people praying up here. And, and maybe you just need to hear those words. You are forgiven. You're special. You're loved. You're heard. I hear you. I see you. Maybe you need to hear that. Pray with me. Father, we thank you um, for this day. And we thank you for the celebration in our youth department, the kids that are moving, that are moving on and to college life and the kids that are coming up and are going to be part of this great community of uh, something called, we call Backdraft. And I thank you for our church. And Father, may, may we not miss grace in this place. May we be about each other's lives, about each other's stories, about each other's infectious disease that you provided the cure for. And may we do so. And, and hear each other's stories and reach out and, and provide a look and a word and a touch so that people will rise up and be healed and others will be amazed by the moving of your spirit because we're simply just, just answering the call. Woe is me, but send me. Send I. I will go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There are people up here that will pray with you. Um, please. And right here in the middle too. So if you would like to be prayed for and listened to, please, we have some spots. Don't rush off. God bless you.